Welcome to Catholic Radio Indy's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. I'm Kent Blanford. Each week, we'll bring you a sampling of some of the best Catholic podcasts being prepared and shared out there on the Internet. The Sunday after Easter has come to be dedicated as the Sunday of Divine Mercy. On today's sampler, we begin with an offering from the Why It Matters, an Explanation of Faith with Archbishop George Lucas podcast, produced by Discerning Arts. This episode delves into the concept of experiencing the joy of divine mercy. DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha, presents Why It Matters, an Exploration of Faith with Archbishop George Lucas. Pope Francis, in his encyclical letter, Lumen Fidei, The Light of Faith, said that faith's past, the act of Jesus' love which brought new life to the world, comes down to us through the memory of others, witnesses, and is kept alive in that one remembering subject, which is the Church. The Church is a mother who teaches us to speak the language of faith. In that spirit, this series of conversations with Archbishop Lucas brings the many aspects of the Catholic faith and why it matters, not only to the individual, but also to families, communities, and the world at large. Why it matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Welcome back, Archbishop Lucas. Thank you, Chris. Always great to be with you. It's been quite an experience for us traveling. Not only have we gone through Lent, but the experience of the Easter joy, the hallelujahs that we've been able to proclaim, and the glorias, and so many other things, then to come upon the experience, which is relatively new in the life of the Church, but for many of us, has been a part of our spiritual life for maybe a couple decades now, that of experiencing the joy of divine mercy. Yeah, divine mercy is not new in the life of the church. That was there from the beginning to celebrate this Sunday dedicated to divine mercy, the Sunday right after Easter. That's relatively new on our liturgical calendar. But it makes perfect sense that when we ask perhaps what difference did the resurrection of Jesus make in the lives of the first disciples, what difference does it make? in your life or in mine, the answer is that we now are offered eternal life with our sins forgiven. And the death, which is the sentence you know, resulting from sin and the, the gap that existed because of sin between ourselves and God that has been healed by the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus. What the first disciples must have had on their minds in those days, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus would have been their own sinfulness, their own shortcomings, their inability or lack of understanding, whether they couldn't understand before or just were not paying attention. And then their betrayal of Jesus or their running away from him at the time of his crucifixion. That must have been a terrible burden for them, as the burden of sin is for all of us when we focus on it realistically. The post-resurrection appearances of Jesus were all about sharing the peace, the joy of of that truth, and the mercy of God with them. It was an opportunity to take their attention off of themselves and off of their weakness and put it on the power of the risen Jesus. That's the invitation that's given to us at this Feast of Divine Mercy, and it's perfectly connected to the celebration of the resurrection. Your goal as a bishop has been to proclaim grace and mercy. 
that was part of what you chose right from the very beginning of this part of your life. It's to make that very apparent to people. Yeah, I mean, that's how we're going to survive in the end, by God's grace. And then when we have refused the grace, by really the, the second grace, which is what mercy is, the forgiveness, God looking on us in our weakness, in our deliberate selfish choices, deliberate hurtful choices, and offering us not what we deserve, but what he desires for us, uh, a fuller experience of, of life in him. What do you suppose Pope St. John Paul II had in mind or deep within his heart to make this celebration, this great joyful proclamation of the divine mercy, part of what he felt that the universal church needed to experience? He would have put it more elegantly than this, but I would say the world is a mess. And because we're all sitting in the middle of the mess, there's a lot of reasons to be discouraged and we get to focus on our own weakness, our shortcomings, and on the weaknesses and the shortcomings of others too, to try to settle everything, settle scores, you know, in this world with worldly, often selfish or dominating methods, you know, and that's an awful position to be in and there's a remedy for it. And the remedy is a personal gift of our Heavenly Father, of his Son, Jesus Christ. So I know it was the case for, for John Paul, and it's uh, what he hopes that we can experience as well, that we look up, that we turn our attention from our own sinfulness, from the trouble that we're in, and we look to Jesus and receive hope, love, receive mercy. It's not a denial of our own sins or of the mess we've, we've made of things. It is a, an understanding of, of God's design for us, who he loves as, as his daughters and, and sons, that we not die in this mess, that we not die in our sins, but that we have life in our Savior, Jesus Christ. This feast comes just one week after Easter, a time of an outpouring of tremendous grace. And it is a call by many who will practice a devotion to the divine mercy to once again go to the sacrament of uh, reconciliation. That's an important sacrament of mercy, isn't it? It is. And of course, many, many people, I know this archdiocese, because I've seen it, have celebrated that sacrament all through the season of Lent, you know, in preparation for Easter, so that this is another opportunity. And really, we have opportunities all year long. But there's a, a particular invitation as part of the celebration of, of this feast. And back to what I said earlier, you know, the we're, we're in the Easter season, fully in it. And the question is, well, what difference does that make to me? Well, it makes all the difference because it's because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that my sins can be forgiven. And it's important for me to know that. And as I said, I think that's why St. John Paul held up this devotion and established this feast so close after Easter so that, that we don't, in a sense, miss the practical point of our proclamation of, of the resurrection of Jesus, that this means, this means forgiveness and life for you and me if we'll take it. And it's not hard to take. There's no way we can make up for our sins. We try to change our ways because it's, it's good that we do. We want to express an even deeper love for God when, once we realize that we've offended God and others in our sins. But the power to heal that, the damage of sin, to heal those relationships, to heal my life, in the end, that belongs to God alone. And God gives it so freely, which is the joy of, of this feast, just to think of mercy coming at us in the, this great torrent of of love, and no matter where we are on the map, no matter where we are in our journey of faith, no matter how serious our sin, forgiveness is always available. Again, it's, it's particularly important in our time where the evidence of the influence, you could say, of the devil is fairly open and invisible. The devil's work is to tempt us 
to sin, deny the sovereignty of God and to take part of that sovereignty, at least on our, on, for ourselves, you know, to decide what's right or what, we, what we'll do without reference to God's authority, God's sovereignty. So that's the first work of the devil, you might say. The second work of the devil is to try to convince us that now we've offended God, God's mad at us, or that there's no hope for us, or that I've sinned now for the thousandth time, and I, finally I've used up the mercy of God, and now I'm sunk. You know, there's just there's nothing else. That's a lie from the father of lies. The feast of divine mercy is the truth that God looks on us with great compassion, and his response to our sinfulness is the gift of his only son, who has laid down his life the cross is now risen from the dead to make forgiveness and life available to us, possible for us. For many who will experience, again, from the message of this particular Sunday that the Universal Church throughout the world is celebrating the, the Feast of Divine Mercy, they will maybe hear of an image the, or they'll see it in their local parishes of Christ with rays of white and red flowing from his side, as well as a message at the very bottom that says, Jesus, I trust in you. That's something that we really have to grow in, isn't it? Just to trust in Jesus. That's the challenge. Again, it's the counter to the devil's lie to us that you you really can't trust Jesus. Either he's not who he says he is, or his mercy is for a lot of people, but it's not for you. Or he used to have mercy for you, but it's run out now. You, you've used it all, all up. That image that you describe has, has become popular. It's in many of our churches. Many people have, have it in their homes. And, you know, we have many images of Jesus. But as you say, the, the saying at the bottom of the image is a prayer that we should try to say as wholeheartedly as we can, because that's the antidote to the devil. If we trust in Jesus as the Son of God and as our Savior, then we will be saved, and no matter what our sins. As I say, we try to say that as wholeheartedly as we can, and we can grow in that desire for, for the Lord's mercy. It doesn't mean we'll never fail again, sadly. But the saying isn't, I trust in myself, because I can to a certain extent, but, I'm, but I know I'm weak, but I trust in Jesus. And my trust in him is not in vain. So if I continue to turn to him, continue to voice my trust in him, try to place my life there before him in trust, that if I put my life in his hands, I'm just right where I need to be, that my life is full, I will live forever. That's that invitation. That's all contained in that prayer, Jesus, I trust in you. We'll return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas in just a moment. The Gloria. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to people of goodwill. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you. We give you thanks for your great glory. Lord God, Heavenly King, O God, Almighty Father, Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, Lord God, Lamb of God, Son of the Father, you take away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. You take away the sins of the world, Receive our prayer. You are seated at the right hand of the Father. Have mercy on us. For you alone are the Holy One. You alone are the Lord. You alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. Amen. 
Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. We now return to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. That message of mercy, that image that was conveyed to St. Faustina Koloska, who St. John Paul helped to investigate and bring forward when he was cardinal, that she lived at a time just before one of the most cataclysmic periods in Poland-Lithuanian history. Uh, It was the time of right before World War II and then the other times of great suffering that the world would incur. And yet here is that message of trust. The thing is, we'll hear that message even in those times of our own personal sufferings that are maybe our confusion on why why are certain things happening. And it's, it's important for us to turn to that, isn't it? Yeah, when, when difficult things are happening, or, you know, life is happening. Life in this world is limited and, and broken in some ways by original sin. There is the temptation always from the evil one to think, well, you know, the, the Lord's not here, at, or he's lost interest in you, or, or, you know, there's no favor for you. That is a lie, but it's it's tempting. It's tempting to, to believe it. A message like St. Faustina has um, proclaimed so beautifully, and people have caught on to it because it's true and because we need it in the world we're living in. It's a different, little different world from hers, but it's, a, it's still broken. Many people are suffering in, in so many ways. So it's important for that message to be proclaimed and for more and more people to hear it and to have the chance to trust that this doesn't all depend on me, even on my good days, but especially, thankfully, doesn't depend on me on my bad days. It depends on on Jesus. And he's the one who will mediate mercy to everyone who receive it. He's mediating it now, you know, even before we receive it. It's a question that, that can occur to us, perhaps, when I've been sinning, what was Jesus doing? And... I think our faith tells us very clearly, well, he didn't just wash his hands of me and go away and do something else. He's been right there, close to me. He's given his life for me. He wants nothing more than that I turn away from sin and receive mercy and, and live. So he's right there. We don't have to go looking for him. He's, he's right there. We make the sacramental experience of the forgiveness of Jesus available in our parishes all year long, as I said. It's available at, at special moments during Lent and, and now for the Feast of, of Divine Mercy. Yet it really is the work of the church to make that to proclaim this message and to make that mercy available so that we continue to have more confidence in Jesus than we have in ourselves and certainly than we have in the, the lies of the devil. I would say that that is really key in this 
missional discipleship, this call to proclamation and to witness to others about this part of the kerygma, the mercy of God, and how that can aid us and assist us, how it's changed our lives and how it can change the lives of those who are suffering, and whether it's a physical or in just the emotional pain of what they're dealing with in the world today. Yeah, proclaiming the gospel is proclaiming good news. Well, what's so good about it? Well, what's so good about it is that right here in our brokenness, so we're feeling the effects of sin, burdened by it really. So maybe these are sins I've committed, maybe other people have hurt me. It's also the experience of being born into fallen humanity. So there is this experience of, of brokenness. So what's the news? Well, too bad. Or, you know, you brought this on yourself, so you're just, you're stuck with it. Uh, no. The good news is God looks on us in our pain, in our brokenness, in our hurt, and gives us this eternal remedy, the, this eternal gift of healing in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't give us a formula for how to get better. He doesn't give us a set of rules or a checklist of things that we have to do, and then we'll be healed. We're invited to meet Jesus, to come to know him, and then as St. Faustina did, to put our trust in him as the Son of God. And this is the powerful Son of God who brought healing to people during his public ministry, who's overcome the power of death, and he wants to apply that power, that healing to you and to me in the way that he sees will bring the best benefit. To us. So there, there may be a kind of healing or a, a gift from Jesus that I want to ask for, which I he loves to re- hear those requests. He's not going to deny us what's necessary for our eternal healing and, and salvation. So that's the good news. What other news is better than that? And I you know, don't say that lightly. It's the unique thing that as followers of Jesus Christ, we can bring to the world in which we're living. It's, it's been unique in every age, but now in our time where there's so much misunderstanding about what it really means to be a human person. So so many lies being told to people about their worth, what we have to do to be worthy, make ourselves worthy, whatever it might be in terms of physical attributes or intelligence or charm or you know whatever it might be. And we all fall short. You know, that's just all built for frustration. And that's not the good news. It's not the the invitation to life and, and healing in Jesus Christ. Almost a shame to share this, but I feel like I should in that I've been forgiven. I've experienced God's mercy so tremendously in my life, but I have failed, Archbishop, to give that type of mercy to others, particularly those, my brothers and sisters, who are in the Roman Catholic Church, who, the way I've even spoken about them, how I've maybe fostered division and because of whatever that might be. We really are called, aren't we, once we receive that divine mercy to be able to hopefully share that equally with others? Sure, it's part of the the Lord's Prayer that, that Jesus taught us. That we, we say it so often as a reminder that these two things go together. The Lord doesn't put a condition on his mercy, but he asks something of us once we received it. So you described your situation beautifully. You started out by talking about how you have received the mercy of, of the Lord. There's nothing like it. And so for any of us to have that experience, particularly if we feel far from him or that are really just aware that we've done something or maybe as a pattern of behavior that's seriously harmful to us or, or to others. To be able to experience the mercy of God in, in Jesus Christ is, is a tremendous gift and it has a healing power to it. It has many just beautiful, beautiful aspects. So how can I return anything to the Lord you know, for his being so good to me? Well, since you ask, <laughs> he tells us, look around. 
there's probably somebody close to you who who has aggravated you, offended you, hurt you, who could use your forgiveness. Ooh, it's hard. It's hard to do. And it's a reminder to us of what a precious gift forgiveness is. You know, it's, So it's not hard for Jesus to forgive us, but it's a big deal that he does. And how do I know that? Well, because I know how hard it is for me to sometimes to forgive others and how often I fall short in that, how judgmental I can, can be here. The Lord gives us this, this very powerful, it's kind of a frightening story in the, in the gospel about the man who was forgiven his debt. And then he turned right around and had a somebody who was in his debt, not very much, thrown in prison, you know, and we almost all sit up straight when, when we hear that, I think. First of all, we think, what, the, what a terrible thing to do. And then, wow, could you, you know, do I think that I could possibly be guilty of something like that? Well, I think maybe, yes. So it's part of the economy of our life in, in the church, part of the exchange of gifts that the, the Lord gives his mercy to us so freely. Part of the healing that we experience now is the ability to forgive others, not because they deserve it, but because it's good for us to do. It's how we're like, how we live and, and act like the Lord. But yeah, it's part of the challenge of growing as, as a disciple is to, to share forgiveness with, with each other. So it's a challenge maybe we could issue as we, we celebrate the Feast of, of Divine Mercy. Give a little of what we've received so generously from the Lord and give it where it, where it hurts, where, where it's a challenge with the, the understanding of this. I'm not giving somebody something that they've earned from me. I'm giving something that Jesus has given me. I'm giving it, I'm now giving it away and I can't, I'll never give it all away. There's always more, always more coming. That's such an important message. Any final thoughts on this reflection on divine mercy? Open yourselves to it. I, again, I preached to myself first. We're really selling ourselves short if we don't accept the mercy of the Lord. If, you know, if we believe it's a kind of a two-sided lie of the devil, if I believe either that, that I don't need mercy, that I don't have any sin, or it's not important, or if I somehow believe that there isn't any for me, isn't available for me, that none of that's true. So the, the invitation of this feast is to say, acknowledge our sins, because there we see where the mercy needs to be applied. And then we get out of the way and let the Lord apply his mercy there. We've sinned in practical ways. We need to be forgiven in those spots where we've sinned. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. Amen. Thank you, Archbishop Lucas. Yeah, thank you. You've been listening to Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts in cooperation with the Archdiocese of Omaha. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Why It Matters, an exploration of faith with Archbishop George Lucas. You're listening to the Lunchtime Podcast Sampler on Catholic Radio Indy, and we'll be back with some additional thoughts on divine mercy from Joan Watson at Three Minute Theology right after this short break, so stay tuned. The first radio station signed on back in the 1930s. And wow, people could get news without having to wait for the next day's newspaper and hear great entertainment right in their living rooms. 
Uh, but then in the late 40s, television came along. And since it could add visual content, well, that would probably kill off radio. But it didn't. In the 70s, satellite radio, eight-track tapes and cassettes, and the Walkman came along. Surely one of these would kill off radio. But they didn't. Now there's streaming on computers, podcasts, Alexa, and smartphones that put the world at your fingertips. And you know what? Radio is still here. In fact, a recent survey of people aged 18 and up showed that on a monthly basis, radio reached more people than television, including time-shifted TV. And for audio programming, more people than smartphones, PC, Alexa, or tablets. When you support Catholic Radio Indy, you're supporting a powerful tool that has the potential to reach over one million people every day with the message of salvation. If you're one of our donors, thank you very much. If you haven't joined our family of donors yet, today would be a good day to do that. Just go to catholicradioindy.org and click on the donate button. That's catholicradioindy.org. And thank you for your support. Join Bishop Kevin Rhodes in A Prayer to the Creator from Pope Francis's encyclical Fratelli Tutti. It's a prayer for fraternity, peace, and unity as we work together to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, Father of our human family, you created all human beings equal in dignity. Pour forth into our hearts a fraternal spirit and inspire in us a dream of renewed encounter, dialogue, justice, and peace. Move us to create healthier societies and a more dignified world, a world without hunger, poverty, violence, and war. May our hearts be open to all the peoples and nations of the earth. May we recognize the goodness and beauty that you have sown in each of us and thus forge bonds of unity, common projects, and shared dreams. Amen. In the 1930s, Jesus Christ appeared to a Polish nun named St. Faustina to give her a message of mercy. In her diary, she recounts God's immense mercy for sinners. It was a fitting message at the time, post-World War I, pre-World War II, and it's a message that we all need to be reminded of, that God has mercy enough to forgive even the biggest sinner. It's not a new message. We see it throughout the scriptures, especially in the Psalms, that our sins are great, but God is waiting with his mercy. Christ gave St. Faustina a special prayer called the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And that chaplet is prayed on the same beads that you would pray the rosary. In that chaplet, you consistently remember your own sins, but more importantly, call down the mercy of God on you and on the entire world. Christ promised great graces would be given to those who prayed this chaplet. And he told St. Faustina, Say unceasingly this chaplet that I have taught you. Anyone who says it will receive great mercy at the hour of death. Priests will recommend it to sinners as the last hope. Even the most hardened sinner, 
if he recites this chaplet even once, will receive grace from my infinite mercy. I want the whole world to know my infinite mercy. I want to give unimaginable graces to those who trust in my mercy. One day that he wants to give great graces is Divine Mercy Sunday, a special feast that he asked be proclaimed. And in 2000, John Paul II put it on the church calendar. The Sunday after Easter is celebrated as Divine Mercy Sunday. God wants to give great graces on that day. And so ask for big things. Ask for mercy for yourself, but also for mercy for your friends, your family members, and even your enemies. It's a beautiful day in the church where God reminds us of his love. There's a novena of divine mercy that leads up to the feast. And it starts, since novena are nine days of prayer, it starts on that great day of mercy, Good Friday. And so it's tradition to pray the chaplet on each of these days, these nine days leading up to the feast. And on each of these days, we remember a particular group of people. Jesus told St. Faustina, on each day of the novena, you will bring to my heart a different group of souls and you will immerse them in this ocean of my mercy. On each day, you will beg my father on the strength of my passion for the graces of these souls. Christ died on the cross for you. He died on the cross out of love for sinners. And so ask him for that mercy. And that's a little theology in three minutes. We find ourselves moving into spring, and with spring frequently come weddings. Our next offering on the sampler comes from the Ave Spotlights Therapy Talk. In this episode, host Chanel Shaw talks with therapist Regina Boyd about preparing for marriage. They also look at how to identify potential red flags in a relationship. If you or someone you know is contemplating matrimony, this episode is for you. Hello, Spotlight friends. Welcome to another episode of Ave Spotlight. Today, I'm here with my friend, Regina Boyd. I'm so excited to talk with her and really just like hear her knowledge all about preparing your heart and mind for marriage. She did an awesome Instagram series called In the Waiting. And Regina, you are very gifted at posting on your stories and getting feedback from other people just about different questions that you have. And so I'm excited to hear um, various perspectives of feedback that you've gotten, but also your particular perspective being someone in the mental health profession. So I'm so grateful that you're here to share with us today. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm really, really excited. Yes. So Regina, I would love for you to share a little bit about yourself for people that are listening. I mean, how about this? I would love for you to share um, your favorite food your favorite child that you have and your favorite way to relax. Okay. So favorite healthy food or healthy-ish food sure, is sure, probably, sure, sure. If that's what sparked your heart. Yeah. Yeah. Probably like meat, some type of steak or like chicken meal, something like that. Unhealthy. I'm going to go with brownies. Vibes. Okay. Is probably a good one. 
Did you say favorite child? <laughs> Who is your favorite daughter that you have already? <laughs> <laughs> I always like to ask parents that when they're like, um, well, it's just my, I always ask my mom that I'm like, who is your favorite? And she's like, you're my favorite Chanel. So, um, no, but yeah. That's awesome. Well, I have one daughter. So my favorite is my, my daughter. Um, she's, she's awesome. She's five and she's so much fun because her personality comes out more every day. So it's really cool to see. Um, and then the last question was, what is your favorite way to relax? So in an ideal world, no one's calling you, no one's texting you. Maybe is it like with your family? Is it by yourself? Um, and it's like all expenses, no concerns. What's your favorite Mm -hmm. way to relax? Mm -hmm. So we can dream big. Okay, nice. So yeah, it's probably going to involve friends and family, but something leisurely, like I'm I'm relaxing on the beach, just kind of sitting and not doing a lot. <laughs> taking, I taking love that. The sun, the conversation, something like that. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I I remember one of the first times like we hung out and got lunch, you were like, I said, what's your favorite way to relax? And you were like, honestly, just like not doing much. And I <laughs> thought to myself, I think that this friendship is going to be good because (laughs) we are two sides of the same coin. But I'm so grateful that you're here, Regina, and specifically to talk. I mean, I know that you you talk all about relationships all over your social media, both in your professional life. And you're just so open with people all over social media just about how they can better themselves and their relationships with their spouses, which I love the way you say you're beloved. I love how you say that all the time and how, you know, how they can better their relationships with their children and with themselves as individuals. And I think that's really beautiful. So, but you did a series called In the Waiting where it was preparing your heart and mind for marriage. And I would love for you to share a little bit about that and kind of what inspired that series and how, what's your process when you're giving advice to people in regards to something like, you know, preparing yourself for marriage. That seems like such a a heavy thing to share. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it's just could be anything from a recent conversation that I have or just conversations that I'm having in direct message in the DMs on Instagram. So around that time, I had been getting a lot of questions around like, well, how does this apply if you're single and how does this, this? And so I'm like, okay, it might be time. The Lord might be telling me like, people want to hear about this. So let's, let's talk about it, you know, because I keep getting those types of questions. Mm. So that's kind of, I guess, where I would say it sort of came from. And I feel like, you know, we all just have so many different moments where we're waiting in life, whether we're waiting for, for marriage or waiting for children or waiting for a job. There's just all of these moments where we find ourselves in this period of waiting, of desiring. And I think it's really relatable. Mm. It can feel heavy at times, but I think we have all experienced that one way or another in our life. And so might as well talk about it. No, I feel you. That's amazing. And and honestly, I mean, 
I'm not a professional, so in in the the mental health world, so this is probably why I don't give that kind of advice. So you're probably used to it, um, but I I'm so curious whenever I see you on your stories and you say like, how do you do this? And then the feedback that you get from people that respond to you. So I was I was curious about your process and how you kind of select the topics that you're going to talk about. One part of your mini series that I really enjoyed was when you talked about love being an act. Which for Mm. me, as someone who I don't live for myself, but I don't, I don't have a lot of other people that I worry about all the time. So um, in the way that I perceive when you're married, or if you have children, that that's something where you just have to do those things all the time. And I loved love being an action being something that you spoke about. And I'd love for you to share a little bit more about what that means, and kind of expand a little bit more. We always have a choice when it comes to love. When we love the person who cuts us off in traffic, even from afar, right? <laughs> we have we have several choices in that moment. Are we going to follow after them, chase them down, create them, like end up on social media, right? Create some drama. Are we going to kind of like say some unkind words to ourselves about that person? Mm-hmm. Or if we're feeling super generous, we can say a prayer or give the benefit of the doubt or, and say, you know, oh, they must be in a rush somewhere. Maybe, you know, I hope they're okay. Right? It just kind of depends on where we're at. And so I think we always have a choice in any given situation to consider the good of the other person and put that kind of before our own needs, even if it's a stranger, even if it's a friend, a family member, an acquaintance, somebody you kind of see at church. I don't know, somebody struggling across the street and you help them cross the street, whatever. And so I think there's all of these opportunities where we can choose to come out of ourselves just a little bit and be at service of somebody else, um, married married or not. And I think that's really what we're called to do in the Christian life. And when when we can live in that way and love in that way, it helps us grow and it helps develop all our relationships with the people around us. Mm, that's beautiful. And And something that I was just reflecting on um, before we started recording this episode is um, I've been blessed to have a lot of great friends that are married and have kids and that are great witnesses to true sacrificial love, including you and your husband. You guys are just so awesome with supporting one another and being fun at the same time. So it's like sacrificial, but you guys still know how to hang. And (laughs) I think it's it's so interesting to me, especially as a single woman, when I see people that are married and they have relationships where they have to give up things that they might want in that immediate moment. So I, I have some other dear friends that are married and they talk to me all the time about, they'll say like, okay, if I want to do this, it's not like I'm asking for permission to do blank, but I have to consider that my spouse might want to spend some time together or might want to do something as a family or might just want me to be present at home. Um, and then you're, and they mentioned that a lot of their readiness to do those things was that they prepared themselves in the past, like before they got married to kind of be that person for their spouse. And I know in one of your posts, you talked about preparing yourself for your spouse. And so I'm curious, and this is, you know, kind of putting you on the spot, but what is something that you felt like 
when you got married that you were like, oh gosh, I wish I would have had more time to prepare myself for this aspect of marriage? And then what is something that you're like, you would tell someone that's kind of seeking out their beloved to, you know, really keep in mind as they're preparing themselves for that person? Yeah, I honestly, thinking back, this is this might be strange, but I don't think there's anything I would say that I wish I had spent more time preparing. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that I was like 100% perfect on day one when we got married and there was nothing I needed to grow in. But part of marriage is it's a little bit of a refining fire that you are confronted with your imperfections because of that other person. And so you, when you see your interactions and maybe you accidentally do something that's hurtful or like you mentioned before, you know, maybe you make plans without considering the other person and like realizing they feel left out or whatever it is. You but just by you living your life unintentionally do something and you're confronted with the fact that, wow, I might not be as selfless as I thought I was, or I might not be as whatever virtues we thought we had, all of a sudden marriage highlights, well, actually you could grow a little bit more in these areas. So it's not so much that I wish I had prepared more, but there was very much an awareness of, wow, I can really grow in Mm. certain areas. And I think when we're thinking about that and preparing for marriage, we always want to be mindful of all of those things of how can I be more virtuous, more patient, enhance my strength? What are those areas that I can grow in? But ultimately, um, we'll never be in this perfect 100% pure spot of like, this is what, if you have, you know, 68% of patients fulfilled and uh, you have 30 You know, that's super of, lame like... <laughs> because I really wanted you to be like, so anyway, Chanel, <laughs> after this, we can meet up for some ice cream and I'll give you the perfect percentage formula because it would be way easier <laughs> if there was some just magical way that we could just be, because there's so much fear beyond, you know, Mm -hmm. because you don't want to, you want to be, especially when you love someone, right? You want to be like ready to go. So it's like, you don't, you want to give someone your best. There are people I haven't even met yet that just, you know, might ask me for something. I'm like, wow, I want to give that opportunity or project my best or that person my best. So then imagine if you love someone, you're like, I definitely want to give them my best. So then it it must be hard to kind of maneuver through those different things and be like patient with yourself and your spouse. So, oh my gosh. And I remember, and I, I'm not sure if this was in your series or this was just something you post on your stories, but you talked about kind of envisioning your future spouse. So like qualities that you would want. And I'm curious for you, what does that look like? So when you envision your future spouse, what kind of things should we be looking for? Should we be saying like, I should, I be down to the minutia of like, I want someone who really, who would eat dessert before dinner? Or am I saying like, (laughs) or am I saying like, I want someone who, you know, is really kind to their family? Or is it both? I mean, obviously I want someone that's kind to their family, but it's like, how do we, like what things are actually important, you know, and what things are kind of flexible? Yeah, I think the Lord knows the desires of your heart. So Mm. if like dessert before dinner is super important to you, like he, I feel like he's going to grant that. And amen. Okay, thank you. From your (laughs) mouth to God's ears. So that's good. I know that God heard that. Okay, cool. That would be like my hope and prayer for you. Thank you so much. Okay. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I just think of some baseline general things, right? Mm -hmm. Is this person 
somebody who who is kind, who is respectful, who, you know, handles their frustration in a decent way? Are they, or do you notice like things happening in the extremes, like continuous anger, continuous explosion, continuous disrespect, mm. name calling, you know, when things get really overwhelming, how do I handle these situations? Because, you know, in marriage, things only get more complicated and more challenging. And so if we're handling difficulties before marriage in a very unhealthy way, that's only going to be more magnified, most likely once you're married. And so we want to kind of be paying attention to those types of things. How How do they handle conflict or when you have a disagreement? Disagreements are normal. Everybody has them. That So the idea is not to never have a fight or a disagreement, but it's all about the how we go about it. Mm-hmm. Are they considerate of you and taking your opinion into consideration at times? Are they viewing you as an equal partner worthy of, do they view you as an equal partner worthy of that respect and taking things into consideration, communicating their needs in a healthy way, or are they not? And so um, those would kind of be signs I'm looking for, right? I'm looking for red flags. I'm looking for, you know, green flags, right? Healthy communication, those types of things. All the other things, their personality, you know, their height, their whatever, you know, that if as long as it fits in with the green flags, great, <laughs> you're you like, know? <laughs> great. You're like, but like the, a- you're like, the main takeaway is <laughs> make sure that you're not just like focusing on the fact that they, you know, really prefer, I don't know, Starbucks over Dunkin' Donuts. So I get it. Priorities <laughs> right. priorities are definitely important. And I like what you're saying about as much as we look out for green flags, we should be looking out for, or red flags, we should be looking out for green flags as well. Because I do know some of my, even my dear single friends, that it seems like every time they like someone, it's just like red flag city. And every yeah. every process of kind of, you know, they're particularly desiring marriage. So every process of wanting to get married and going on a date, getting to know someone more, it's just everything is about things that bad things that they should be looking out for. And it doesn't seem to be encouraging or positive. And then they mm. get discouraged every time something comes up. So they're like, oh, I knew it. Or I felt like right. I was waiting for something, like waiting for the other shoe to drop. And so that kind of leads me to my kind of final question for you is what advice would you give to someone that's desiring marriage and just desiring that union with another person for their own like preparation for themselves. So we know that we all go, you know, we all experience our own lives and we have things going on and so do other people. And so there's a lot happening between your own religious formation you're trying to form, your, you know, your physical, your emotional. But then how do you kind of also factor in, you know, preparing yourself for someone that you're hoping is out there? Like what would be the main thing that you would share with someone? I would say being, I don't know, yourself, if that makes sense. Hmm. Just living your life, the the life you're called to as as a Christian, as a Catholic. Obviously prayer is uh, goes unspoken is a great, great thing. But I feel like when you are discerning and looking to meet someone, you want to find somebody who's that good fit with you, who's just, you know, things are going to kind of click into place Mm. and it's not a lot of effort. And part of that has to do with you being comfortable with yourself and being free to be yourself and therefore being in a relationship with someone who allows you to be free to be yourself. 
And so I guess I would focus on that and just being you and being happy and living your life and embracing the beauty of you as, as a creation as a unique creation of God and whoever you're called to be with is going to do, do the same when they meet you and embrace that as well. So I guess getting in tune with that. Mm, that's great advice. It almost seems like um, you should be a professional, but yeah, it's like, it's, you know, that's great advice. And I think, you know, including you, I've had many good people in my life say that, you know, the best version of yourself is yourself. So it's like just being the person that you're supposed to be is the best version of you. Because sometimes we can strive to be a million other things, but ourselves. And it just is disappointing and it's hard. And then it's hard to know what you're even looking for if you don't even know who you are. But when you find out that, hey, I actually like to play mini golf or I like to watch reality TV or I like to go on hikes or whatever. And you're like, this actually brings me joy. It's fun to be able to share those things with others and just be the person that you're supposed to. So that's wonderful advice. And I'm so grateful that you were able to share with us, Regina. I wish but I'm excited because I know you have something going on. So I was about to say, I wish that we could like talk for a million hours or I wish your advi advice was just kind of condensed in a format in some pages where people could purchase it. So I know you have a lot going on right now and I would love for you to share where people can find out more about you and um, kind of follow your journey and get some similar advice that you shared today. Yeah, you can find me on Instagram uh, at Boyd Counseling Services and on Facebook at Regina Boyd LMHC. So all of my mini series and thoughts of whatnot mental health wise are, are out there and for couples and relationships. Yeah. So any updates you can find there. Sweet. All right. We'll make sure to put that in our show notes and we are so grateful for you. And oh, before we end, I like to ask each guest about something that gives them hope so something that gives them hope right now in the present or something that they're looking forward to will give them hope in the future. So if you need some time to think about it, I can go first. Or if you're ready, you can go. How are you feeling? Go for it. Go okay. First. Okay. So something that has given me hope, I was sharing with you before we started recording, my goddaughter lives here. She's four. She's awesome. And it's been really great just hanging out with her and seeing her personality and she is very self-aware. Her mom is a school counselor, so they are very about talking about your feelings, communication. And so even though she's four and sassy, as four-year-olds can be, it's really hopeful to watch her talk to her parents and her sister and work through her four-year-old feelings in better ways than I work through my 29-year-old feelings. So <laughs> it gives me hope that the next generation of young people will be will, you know, have great regulation and will be able to explain themselves in ways that are healthy and be in good relationships. And so it's just really great spending time with her and seeing her do all those cutie little things and take her deep breaths when she doesn't want to share her Doc McStuffins toy and, you know, things that seem really hard <laughs> to work through. So, <laughs> so it's so nice to, to be a part of that. And it's a blessing. It brings me hope. It's a blessing to be a part of her life anyway. So so that is probably mine. How about you? Yeah, I was thinking about just Easter, you know, we're recording this in Easter and it just always gives me a lot of hope about, you know, the possibility of, of growth, of healing, of change, of, you know, it doesn't matter like 
how dark, how scary things are, somehow they get redeemed one way or another. Mm. Yeah, I've just been really reflecting a lot about about that in all, in all kinds of ways. And and we just know through that that whole story of Jesus's way of the cross, the apostles falling asleep on him in the garden. I mean, just all of those, that loneliness he must have felt without his friends being there for him. And when I just think about all of those little moments in our lives where we feel failed by the people we love and care about, but in the end, somehow it all comes around full circle. So I just am really hopeful about those full circle moments. Mm, that's so good. Yes. And that's a good reminder that Easter, we are Easter people. And throughout the whole Triduum, I was listening to all the, you know, I mean, there's like sad girl vibe days. So like Good Friday, woof, that's a bummer. Yeah. But then, yeah. you know, at the end of Good Friday and then on Holy Saturday, all the priests were like, don't worry, you guys, it's going to get good. Like, don't stress. Yeah. <laughs> He's coming back. And so that's a that's a great thing. That's a great perspective. And something actually cool, um, just as a little fun tidbit that I learned this triduum, one of the priests that was giving a homily on Good Friday shared that, um, or a little exhortation on Good Friday shared that when Jesus rose, Mary Magdalene thought that he was the gardener around his tomb. And it's a, I forget what the English word is for this, but it's kind of a metaphor or a, a connection to God being the gardener in the Garden of Eden and how he was preparing like a beautiful place for his people. And then she thought that Jesus was the gardener after he rose. So then he's preparing a beautiful place in heaven. And I was like, that's really cool, man. It's almost wow. like Jesus thought that through. So so I thought that was so fun. And I'm like, Easter is just such a fun time. And for the next eight days, I'm going to eat my weight in Sour Patch Kids. And praise <laughs> God for the gift of friendship and good people. So, But thank you so much for being here with us, Regina. And I pray that you and your family have a great octave. Thank you. Yes, you too. Thanks. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you to Regina Boyd for being our guest. We'll make sure to put her information in our show notes so y'all can check that out. In the meantime, I hope that this episode was helpful. If you are single and you have a desire for marriage on your heart, I will be praying that God fulfills the desires of your heart. And if you are engaged or married, I also hope that this episode was helpful because there's no better time to learn more, to be a great partner and a great spouse. So I'll be praying for you all. Please pray for me. God bless you. This podcast is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com. And that's all the time we have for this week's Lunchtime Podcast Sampler. You can find this show in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org, along with links to more of the programs we've shared. I'm Kent Blanford, and until next time, may God bless. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.